Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to all types of creative people. And today my guest is John Hill. He is a performer and he's also a radio host. He's the co-host of Andy Cohen Live on Sirius XM. He also has his own show on that same channel. And he's also performing live in a show called Wellness Check with John Hill. It's going to be in L.A. at Dynasty Typewriter, one of my favorite venues, on the 22nd of December and also in New York on the 14th, if you happen to be there. John is also a Broadway veteran. He was in the original company of Hairspray and has appeared in other shows like The Boy from Oz. And he also talks about his background uh, performing at Six Flags over Texas, which we really get into. But before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by... I don't have any sponsors. It's just me. I do it. I do it. So I do it because I love it. And there are two ways you can support it. If you like it too, you can go to DennisAnyone.net. And you can leave a tip in my virtual tip jar. Help me cover my expenses. And a very sweet listener in Palm Springs, Jack Kay, did that just this week. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jack. Uh, You can also consider becoming a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm part of a group of shows under the Derek and Romaine banner. And for a monthly fee, you get my show early. And you get all these other great LGBTQ shows. So learn about that at DNRStudios.com. And now on to the interview. This is my conversation with John Hill. Joining me now from Los Angeles, it's John Hill, star of Wellness Check, your show. Hi, John. Dennis, I'm so happy to see you. I know, we're doing it. So we're making it happen. Um, you have this show. But I was thinking as I was preparing for this, how do we know each other? Like, I feel like I met you... Around like 20, 2009, wow. 2010, around the time I was hosting this variety show at the Gay and Lesbian Center, I remember you performed there. But I can't remember like somebody saying, this is John Hill and shaking your hand. I don't remember that moment. You know what? I think Glenn Gaylord. Oh, right. Made that connection. That makes sense. Yeah, because Glenn, Glenn and Glenn. I worked. Yeah, I love yeah. Glenn. I miss Glenn. Glenn and I were producers on the first show, I, the first TV show I ever did. Show I created for MTV. He was a producer on it, and then it went. And then when he left, it went to Hell in a Handbasket. As you know, anything Glenn doesn't participate in goes to shit. There, there it is. He'll be he's happy to great, hear that. He's you the know, greatest. He's a regular listener of this podcast, so he will love hearing that. What was the show? Did it ever air? Oh Lord, it was a World of Wonder show. It was yeah. before Glee, but it was a reality show based on a high school Glee club show choir in West Virginia. And it went so terribly tits up by the end. We made the whole entire series and it went so epically fucked up, shit the bed wrong that the entire thing sits in the world of wonder basement, never to see the light of day. It was that messed up. The show is great. The show was not the problem. The problem was legal issues and weird accusations and weird shady behavior on the part of the... Um, some people involved with the show in West Virginia. Wow. Well, if you can't <laughs> trust the Glee people in West Virginia, <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who can you trust? So yeah. Wellness Check is your show. Uh, you sing in it. You play the piano. You uh, talk. Um, how do you describe it to someone that knows nothing about it? Yeah. It's a uh, stand-up with original music and original wow. songs. And uh, I feature my dog as well. Oh, your dog live in person? Does your dog show up? Yeah, he sits on the piano and judges everything I do. He's an he's an anti-gay, homophobic dog. He's a the Anita Bryant of Chihuahuas. 
Now, how did you realize that your dog was homophobic? Well, I took him to Fire Island, and Oof. it's a litmus test. That's right really. into the throwing him right into the frying pan. Yeah, he was trapped in a house with five gays <laughs> arguing about Broadway cast recordings, and I figured out real quick. You know, I'd known him for his whole life, and he's nine years old. And it wasn't until I took him to a share house in Fire Island that I realized that he is uh, staunchly uh, anti-gay. But he doesn't express that against you; only other gays. Right. Well, now that we're getting honest with each other, yeah, I do see that he. You know, if, if I wasn't keeping him alive with food and water and shelter, you know, he would probably choose to live with a nice, straight family with some some decent you know, family values. Yeah, decent Christian morals. What do you think it is that upsets him about gay people? Um, I think it is the complete lack of disrespect for the way God intended. Uh, man and woman to wow. lie together, lie so, together in holy matrimony. Right. So it's more like a biblical belief system. Um, yeah. Right. I don't want to speak for him, but I think he he obviously sees that we're going against uh, God. Yeah. And nature. Yeah. And he's integral enough to the show that you're flying him to New York to do it on the 14th. Right. You're not using well, a stuffed dog. Thank you for asking that. Yes. <laughs> a couple things, couple things about that is that the reason he, he, reason he is forced now, I am forcing him against his will to participate in my show because my ex-boyfriend got a new boyfriend and he usually took care of him, but the new boyfriend, I guess it's too close for comfort. So now I'm back to having, he just, he has to go with me and it's too expensive to board him. So I drag him with me wow. to all these different cities. And if someone comes to my show and they don't like, say the amazing stand up or the brilliant songwriting or singing, right? there's at least a cute dog to look at in the show. I love it. And he's cool with it. He likes being in the spotlight. He's all about it. Oh, he's obsessed. I What's kid, his dog's I, I, name? Kid, What's your dog's name? Pete. Pete. Okay. I like yeah. it. I like it. It's not a very gay name, actually. It's well, pretty, he's I'm just a little bit surprised. He's straight, right? It's a he's very heterosexual. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Except for Mayor Pete, yeah. I can think of no Pete's. Um, Mayor Pete is quite. Yeah. He's yeah, the straightest very, gay that you'll ever find. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's that. So you have songs in your show, original songs like The Same Five Gays is a song. That's a song that actually Pete wrote. Yeah. That's about his experience in the share house. I see the same five gays every night of my life. And it's about him wanting to escape the confines of this, the, the gay shackles he's found himself ensconced in. He's had it. Um, when did you start playing the piano? Because you play the piano in the show. Well, first grade, but then I, I was terrible at it because I'm bad at reading music. I'm not great with theory and I'm not a technical player, but, and I can't read music, but I play by ear. And once I realized, at the ripe old age of 45 that I didn't need to, I wasn't trying to, you know, please a piano teacher. I'm trying to entertain an audience. Then all of a sudden I was able to finish the songs I'd wanted to write and they all started, you know, coming pretty quickly. So you had a, a shift relatively recently around playing and singing. Yeah. Over the past year I got up and I just kind of tinkered around with a couple little songs just to try it out in my show. Yeah. And then I realized it was my favorite part of what I do. So I just really spent a lot of time practicing and writing and taking it little by little. And over the course of the past year, um, it's become my favorite part of my show. I love it. Did you, do you remember any of your piano teachers? I had Mrs. Decker and I, I still remember. Cohen. Oh, all right. Oh, Mrs. Decker sounds, it was, she, she sounds like a real hard ass. Well, I just remember the, bringing her checks. My mother would send a check with me. Um, uh -huh. and you know what? The truth is I didn't like going to piano lessons, but it 
was the thing that started me on an artistic path. And so when I was in high school, I felt like I could audition for choir because I had the piano background. Like if my mother hadn't put me in piano lessons against my will, my path would have been different. And so I'm, I'm grateful, grateful for it. Yeah. I feel the same exact way. Like no matter what resentments you ever might have against your family, like things like that are really important to keep in mind. Like, uh, Piano lessons. My, my mom was always taking me to some sort of rehearsal or whatever, you know, driving. I, if I had a kid, no offense, which I won't, but like, I wouldn't drive that kid 45 minutes downtown to community theater every night. I'd be like, you know, find a hobby in the backyard, bitch. Right. But you were into the show stuff and your, your mom would drive you to places. Yeah. I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. yeah. That's the Lynn Spe- She was the Lynn Spears. To your brain. Hey, ex- no, we didn't, we weren't drinking margaritas at 5 p.m. <laughs> right. When I was 12, but she was driving my ass to every rehearsal I wanted to go to. But Miss Cohen was my first piano teacher. And crazily enough, this past year, so I do a residency in New York every month. Once a month, I do my show there at the Green Room 42. I'm doing it again on the 14th. Um, and my, maybe my, I guess my first show there in June, and I was just trying to sort of test the waters, like, would an audience throw tomatoes at me if I played right. and they have a big grand piano and I played a few songs and in the audience was someone from that first my first grade piano I, it was first grade this girl Lindsay Kaufman was there and she was like wow you know I guess you kept practicing after our first grade piano class wow did you remember her when she said hey of I'm, course yes. I love Lindsay Kaufman Lindsay Kaufman is an icon yeah and I dressed Lindsay Kaufman up as a drunk golden globe on watch what happens live behind the bar one year in like 2012 yeah, I use never, my friends as props. Yeah, you you have to. So you also host this radio show uh, on Radio Andy on Sirius XM. Um, you have your own show, and you also co-host with with um, Andy. Do you get a lot of radio people that come to your shows? Fans of of the radio show is that is that a lot of your audience? Yes. Luckily, the crazy thing is the reason why I started doing this show is I was like, you know, a lot of stand ups that I know are trying to get a radio show. I have one. And right. I, so I'm kind of like retrofitting. I'm, I'm getting, I have these people who wherever I am in the country, you know, about 50 or so people who will come out and see a show of mine. So I'm just kind of going out and meeting the people doing a show for them. And, and we have like a little built in audience. It's great. They do come out. Do the housewives ever show up? Have you had uh, any housewives show up? Let's see. Kelly Rip is not a housewife, but she showed up at my last New York show. That's cool. Uh, oh, uh, MJ's a Shaw of Sunset, I guess, but she came. Right. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not like Key King with housewives on the, on a regular basis. Yes. You're, you're, you're Bravo uh, adjacent. I would yeah. say. I would say, like, yeah. Do you go to BravoCon? That- I did go to BravoCon. I did this show at BravoCon. What was that like? Yeah. Cause I feel like Bravo is its own universe. Like if you're in it, you're in it. But if you're not in it, like people, there's not a lot of crossover if you don't know the shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it, the universe that it is, is massive. It was yeah. so packed. There were like 20,000 people or however many thousand. Um, I, here's what I think. I hate crowds and I hate Vegas. That being said, I had a great time at BravoCon in Vegas. So those are, t- it was a little bit of a challenge to, uh, mitigate my anxiety of, in crowds of people. Yeah. And around, and you know what? I had, I also, speaking of my, of my dog Pete, I had him with me in the casinos, in the hotels, going around the town. Lots of drunk ladies, you know, going through whatever they're going through. And when they see a little chihuahua, God bless them. They really pop off. Yeah. They I had like to pay a lot of attention to Pete. Now, yeah, do he you get, he was not into it. 
Do you get recognized much when you're out and about from the radio show or like different things you've done? Uh, actually starting to a little bit now. Yeah. Around LA, like if I'm at the Grove, I'll get a little, hey, like you on the radio type of thing. Yeah. It's fun. I love it. Yeah. When I, I used to guest host on Sirius a fair amount, um, I think pre radio Andy days, but there would be certain people that called in every day. Like they were the real devoted people. And you become like a cast of characters. It's almost like a family. Oh, it's Kevin or whoever it is. Like it's Pierre. Like, oh, we know. Like it becomes like this running drama, right? We have our regulars. Yeah. yeah. I love them. They keep the, they keep the show going. They call me and Andy are live Monday through Thursday and we have a best of on Friday and then I'm live on Tuesdays and we definitely have the same people calling in. I love it. Yeah. What a fun thing. I like it. So you worked at Six Flags as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Do you talk about this in the I show? Did. I, was a con- I talk about it a lot in the show. Yeah. yeah. What were you doing? You're performing, right? I was a country singer. Wow. So yeah. boots, cowboy hat? Uh, boots, a cowboy hat, a uh, long, hot denim jeans, and a, and a big T-shirt, which I was, you know, I was 18, uh, but they, and, you know, closeted, but they somehow astutely uh, chose to put me in a, a big pink triangle on my shirt. So Really? Literally a big <laughs> triangle? Yeah, I'll show you. Yeah. You can see it my show. Was it fun? I bet it was fun. Dennis, I thought I had won every Oscar. I thought I hit EGOT it at, <laughs> at Six Flags. That's going to be the title of this episode, by the way. Yeah. You thought you had EGOT it. I thought I had it. made it. Big break. That was huge. Listen, like Six Flags, performing at Six Flags yeah. was in my hometown. That's all I knew. There, yeah. was no, there was no Broadway, you know? And this was Texas, right? This is Texas, San Antonio. Yeah. And your friends would come and see you. What were your songs? Who was big at the moment in country? Okay. George Strait. Yeah. Also lived in San Antonio. So we always hope that he, yeah, George Strait. And I was the, the, the show faggot. So I definitely sang the song by George Strait. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Garth Brooks. Right I sang on. a little bit of Garth Brooks. He was um, a pioneer with shirt graphics. His shirts oh, always yeah. popped. She loved a pattern. <laughs> she did love a pattern. Um, she was a blousey bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She also loved a uh, what's a what is that thing called? A pseudonym. She became Sasha Fierce before Sasha Fierce yeah. happened. Remember uh, Chris, Chris Gaines? Gaines? Yeah, Chris Gaines. I like Garth. Garth always seemed gay, cool with the gays. I'm a Trisha Yearwood is my favorite. One of my favorite. I vocalists. love Trisha so, so much, much. So I'm all about it. I had a dream about her the other night. I love her. Um, so were you in a group of country singers or were you like solo frontman? It was a group. Yeah. But then I, you know, we would all come forward for our solos. It was also high octane choreography. Yeah. yeah. We were dancing our tits off. Probably in the on hot cement. Summer heat. Probably on cement. We had a stage. Okay. Let's, you had a proper stage. Will, okay. Cause listen, sometimes this, theme park kids, their ankles and the pavement and yeah. In the world of theme parks, I will say I was. Kind of uh, top tier, Dennis. Thank you. I appreciate it. Here's what I always, I, whenever we go to the theme parks and I'm with my friends and they're like, we want to go on this ride and this ride. And I'm like, when's the Aladdin show? I want to see the kids of the kingdom step touch. And I want to try to decide who's having affairs. I want to describe who's who's the the boss, who's the bottom, who's also (laughs) the bossy, like, don't market Kristen. Come on. Like I liked the dyna- the power dynamics and the s- the sexual tension within the troupe. 
There um, was so much, by the way. There was so these people are trapped together. They're hot. Yeah. They're young. They're horny. They're starved for attention. Yeah. And they're just they're down, they're down to the fuck. They're there to fuck. <laughs> Did you have uh, hookups back in the country Six Flags days? Mm, like, what was going well, on with you? I, one of the things I talk about is I did I went, okay, listen, when I first auditioned for the show, I was sixteen years old, and I didn't get it, but what I did get was the attention of a twenty seven year old Wow, so it's so a you didn't bit get the job difference. you didn't get the job, <laughs> but I got jerked off Wow, yeah. at the yeah. audition no uh at at a Binnigan's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. That's not cool. Like, what do you think about that moment looking back? Was it, was it okay or was it fucked up and not right? Well, through the story, uh, through telling the story, I have a lot of friends who were like, you know what? I hooked up with an older person too. Listen, there was no internet, okay? So yeah. I didn't, I, I would not be alive today had there been some sort of grinder. I don't know what I would have gotten up to. I will say I was aware. I thought this was a little. When you're 16, you feel so old. You feel like you're a grown up. You're ready to grow yeah. to grow up. So when you're with someone who's an immature theme park worker who's 27, yeah, I remember being like, I didn't think it seemed that crazy. Now listen, when I turned 27 myself, I was like, wow, oh, this was so yeah. wildly inappropriate. How yeah. dare this? Then I got mad. But when yeah. I, but it wasn't until I turned older that I realized how crazy that was. Right. You don't know better. Um, was it a one and done kind of thing or did you guys kind of see each other? We, it was one and done. All right. But, um, but he still is DMing me to this day. He's DMing you to this day. He'll DM me. I bet you he's all over your Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I like to imagine, like, I know at Disney, like, there's lots of back areas and tunnels and things going on. Maybe at Six Flags there was bushes. I'm sure there were bushes. Well, I don't want to bury the lead, but (laughs) I, after I worked at Six Flags, I then worked as a performer at Disneyland. Oh, what were you? Were you a prince that got to show your handsome face? If I had a nickel for every time, that that's always how the conversation usually goes. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate the compliment. Yeah. And I'm happy to tell you, I was not Prince Charming. I was the voice of Quasimodo, the opposite of Prince Charming. In wow. fact, famous for being disfigured. Right. And did you actually have a – you, you appear or are you just doing some kind of voice thing? Um, or do you have a costume? So, so this was – I'll try to make this quick. No, it's all right. This is, 19, this is 1997. Right. Uh, 98, sorry. Um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame show. And they thought – this is the thinking behind the ex- executive's – uh, creating the show to design. We're not going to find a belting acting acrobat who is short and disfigured for this role. So how are we going to pull this off? <clears throat> so what they got, what they did was they concepted the show to be a traveling band of, pardon the term, gypsies. Right. I don't use that term the way you think I'm using it. It is literally what they're called in the movie and right. in the story. They are a traveling band of literal gypsies. So they thought we're going to, the show will be, gypsies have come to town and they're putting on a show. And while they have, so there was an acrobat dressed as Quasimodo flipping and doing like Cirque du Soleil things while I forward, breaking the fourth wall and sang the belty, screlty song out there. Was it a fun gig? 
No, I was kind of let go because I was such a cunt. Wow. <laughs> How would you express your cuntiness? I'll express. Well, I'll describe it this way. I was over it. I lived yeah. in Malibu. I went to Pepperdine University. I was driving to Disneyland to sing the voice of Quasimodo. That's I was a schlep. bitter. That's a schlep. I was schlepped out. And I was, I thought my, I thought I was ready to skip Disneyland and go yeah. from Six Flags to Broadway, which yeah. I eventually did. Sorry. But the person, I remember this one queen next to me who was probably like, I thought he was very old. I thought he was like 50. He was probably 29. And um, he turned to me one day. I just had such a bad attitude and was like, you are the youngest old bitter queen I have ever met in my life. <laughs> John, you keep I giving was. me possible podcast titles. That's another <laughs> solid one. You were a bitter old queen at like... At night, 19. Wow. Yeah. I was salty, bitter over it. What was it about? Yeah. I, that's my soul, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it was about I live soul. in gratitude. Yeah. yeah but... Yeah, I just have always been kind of a dry bitch. Yeah, there it is. So you talk about Broadway. You're directed in this show, Wellness Check, by Marissa Jarrett Winoker, uh, mm-hmm. who starred in Hairspray, the musical on Broadway, which you were in the original cast. Is that how you guys first yes. met? That's how we first met. And she's the greatest. I love her so much. What's an example of the way she would direct you in this show? What's the kind of thing she would say? Oh, this is to this? Or what's something that's like, oh, that's... Very much because of Mar- uh, Marissa. Oh, that's a good question. She directs me by not coming to the show and skipping rehearsals. Yeah, it's the best <laughs> way to do it. It's the <laughs> best way to do it. Um, no, she comes to my apartment, literally drives all the way from the valley, and and I run through it with her. And the way we came about it was I was just getting up and doing this show, and she came to see it and was like, as a, just as my friend, and was like, it's so – and she was very complimentary. She was like, you're, what you're doing is really great keep going. And then she saw me do it on a live stream at New York. And she was like, okay, that one wasn't as good as the time I saw it in LA. Let me help you. And she just gave me a few bullet points and we snatched, we snatched it together. And then she came over, worked with me in person. I played her my new material and she would kind of guide me to where, yeah, she's not a taskmaster. She's very much, we have a shorthand. We've known each other for 20 years. She's good at kind of cutting through the bullshit and just telling me what works and what doesn't. I like it. It's good to have that extra set of eyes, especially somebody smart. Um, when you guys were in Hairspray, original cast, was it the thrill of your life to mount an original Broadway musical for the first time and have it be a big hit? And you're young yes. and sexy, chorus boys yeah. everywhere? Yeah, and we knew it too. We didn't take it for granted. We were like, this is never going to be this good. The show, you know, even if you're in a hit, you may hate the show, even yeah. if it's popular. But we loved that show. And every time You Can't Stop the Beat would happen at the end of the show, we were like, oh, here's this great song we love. It never got old. When I watch that show, I'm like, that song never lets up. Is it exhaust? Is it like a cardio killer? Yeah, but it was so fun to do. Yeah. You're I could do it right it. now. Would yeah. you please? Oh, it's amazing. Well, I didn't mean literally, but I, yeah. I mean, I could. If I, I meant if I could, I could if I were paid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, wrong gig for, for that. Um, but you guys were the toast of Broadway. And right? if I had different knees. Yeah. A lot of my Broadway friends are like feeling it, especially yeah, the cats it, people. The cats people are fucked. Yeah. With the backs and things like that. I know. Yeah. What yeah, was it like to I be the toast of Broadway? Oh, your meniscus is bad? Uh, yeah. Meniscus is a little shredded. The to- Being the toast of Broadway, you know, it it was the time of my life. It was the best time. And and we're all still very close. That's cool. Friends you, all, you all bonded. And what was the character that you played? 
I was Fender. Fender. What's his deal? Remind me. That's not Fender Link. Makes, it was the understudy for Link. I yeah. went on a lot for Link. Uh, Fender is a bully, a um, jock, and he makes fun of the disabled. Wow. So right in your sweet spot, which yeah. are those things, those things are all on your resume. So it worked out. Um, and yeah, then- I made a joke about special ed during kickball, the kickball scene. Um, and I had glasses. Those were my two defining characteristics. It's good though. So fun. So mm-hmm. fun. Um, was that always the dream for you to go to Broadway? And when you were growing up, is that what you wanted to do? Yes. Yes. It was to be in movies and be on Broadway. And you did it. You did the first one. Do you still want to be in movies? Do you still want to act like that kind uh, of acting? Yeah. I don't know if I, yeah. Listen, put me in a movie. Yeah. Uh, d- doing stage work, doing theater is so uh, easy for me to do. Just get up and do it. Um, you know, I feel like I'm maybe not cool enough to be in movies. I don't That's run not with, true. Like, I don't, I'm not running with Sofia Coppola. She's not like, oh my God, you're my muse. Let me put you in a subtle piece. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But we'll see. Hey, maybe she's listening. It Sophia, could happen. Call me. It could happen. Um, and then you were in The Boy from Oz with Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. I remember that you do that really great Australian accent. You do that character Helvetica on the radio. Is that how you learned the accent from, from that gig or did you already know before? I had a nervous tick. In high school, where when I would clean my room or do my errands, I would speak to myself in an Australian accent because I had seen Muriel's Wedding and Priscilla Queen of the Desert. And for some reason, I spoke to myself in an Australian accent all the time. So by the time Boy From Oz rolled around, they I came in for the audition, just kind of going around doing auditions. And they were like, okay, so the character you're coming in for is... Uh, it's understood Hugh Jackman. The, the, the character is Australian. He's 6'3. He can play the piano and sing and he's funny and he's a flaming faggot and he's, he does an Australian accent. Can you do any of that? And it was like, well, check, sorry check, to check, tell you, check, 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 check all of it. Yeah. And to make matters worse or to make matters better for them, they were like, and you, you would also study the, the, the role that Jared Emick is playing and that character is from Texas. Could you a Texas accent? I'm from Texas, literally. So I kind of, I nailed all that stuff really quickly because uh, I had kind of been practicing my whole life for that shit. Yeah. I remember seeing that show on Broadway. I have two memories of it. One is one night I saw it, I went in and it was normal and I came out and there were six inches of snow on the ground. And it was like New York was just like that magic, snowy, almost like a ghost town except for the snow. Um, yeah, I remember that vividly. But I also remember the way that Hugh Jackman played that role Sometimes when straight guys play gay guys, they're, they're sort of like, they're a little above it. But he played mm-hmm. that role as like being flaming is the best thing you could possibly be, be kicking your hip out like that. Like he owned the, the feminine part of it or the, 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 the flouncy part. He owned that part so like that's the thing you want to be. I don't know how yeah. to, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I really appreciated his performance. Um, well, I loved working with him. He was incredible to watch, you know, night after night. It was, it was, it was a great education. Like he seemed to be loving it. Not like I'm showing my range. Like this is the most fun I'm ever going to have. I'm never going to be this free again. Like yeah. he seemed to embrace the freedom of it and the boots, the fucking house down. Yeah. Living. Yeah. Joyful. And like, it was incredible. Did you yeah. ever go on for him as the understudy? 
Per equity rules, if a, if the star's name is above the title, the audience can get their money back. If yeah, the star it's a big is out deal. Show. Yeah. So insurance wise, it would have cost the production more money to keep the show going if he had been out. So he never took a day off. But the deal from the beginning was, you can have this job, but you will never go on for him because. Yeah, it'll financially be better just to you know cancel the show that night than to keep everyone coming yeah. to work and pay everyone, including the, the tech and IATSE and everything, and then run the risk of 90% of the audience getting their money back. Yeah. So I was like, okay, great. But I was in the show as well. I played Judy Garland's husband, Mark Heron. I had oh, one right. number with Hugh um, and one scene with Judy. And that was a lot to have a scene on stage at that point with Hugh Jackman. And I was 26 at the time, even though the character I was playing was 50 years old. Uh, and I didn't really get that, but I was so grateful for that part. And it was amazing to say, I'm in a Broadway show with Hugh Jackman. I have a scene with him. I have a song with him. And then I get to sit backstage and terrorize the rest of my castmates. I love it. So how did they make, how did, did they do anything in terms of makeup or hair to make you look older? No, again, I'm a dry, bitter ass old queen. So <laughs> they just felt really the, knew the, the world weariness came through. The world weariness came through. Yeah, I love that. What's what's the song that you guys sing in that number? Only an older woman. Mm, intriguing. You do, you don't kiss Hugh Jackman though, because you're Judy Garland's husband. But maybe right, one but night, had, couldn't you have? We had a kiss in rehearsal one time. Yeah, we we tried it and it didn't work. And didn't it didn't work. It was unnecessary. Ah, so it didn't work for the story. I thought you meant like... Mm. Right. Yeah, interesting. Right. All right. You can yeah. see Jackman, though. That's not nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. Yeah. I like I've, it. It was all good. I also had a bad attitude in that show as well. Yeah. But since I have gone through a great attitude adjustment in life... No, I'm curious about this. <laughs> um, did What shifted? Um, well, I got sober is a big deal. Yeah. That helps. Um, and you know, as people often do when they do that, they, they learn, learn to live in gratitude. And I think, I think I was just kind of frustrated. I was 26. I was kind of entering my Saturn returns, figuring out like, do, is this what I want? Is this what I want to be doing? Um, I had just been in hairspray, which was a perfect theatrical experience. And then I kind of was, I don't know, Boy From Us was, I was kind of seeing my competition around, like kind of assessing who are my peers, where am I going? And I, to be honest, I was scared. I think that's what it really was, to be totally honest. I didn't see myself as a leading man. I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't confident with my singing as much as I could have been. I didn't go to Carnegie Mellon or CCM. I didn't have like amazing training. I had Six Flags and Disneyland training. Yet yeah. I was on Broadway with people who you could tell, oh, you're about to become a movie star. So I was, the pressure was really hard and I was insecure. And I, and I, in, in the midst of all of that, I, I think I had maybe some low self-esteem that was trying to kind of catch up, you know? Interesting. When in that journey did you get sober? Three years ago. Oh, three years ago, relatively <laughs> recently. Good yeah, for you. So, Probably since I've seen you in person. Maybe. When did I see you yeah, last? No, you did Mismatch Game recently. Um, that was, was post-pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Red – I was on Red Bull. Yeah. And, a, and I had a wig on, but yeah. shockingly was sober. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, it took me a long time to kind of figure it out. And actually right around the time of Boy From Oz when I had a bad attitude was when I was – I wasn't like a, a huge drunk mess at that point. But it was around that time that I was – I started to get so stressed out and have such bad anxiety that I was like, how am I going to relax? And that's when I like, you know, started popping a pill or two. 
Yeah. I didn't know that about your journey. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. Um, did the pandemic have anything to do with this timing of everything? Because it's right around yes. then, right? Yeah. In what I way? was a mess during the pandemic. Oh, I was lonely, sad, depressed, freaked out, um, trapped in my apartment. Um, and I was, I just like, was kind of getting by on like, you know, um, toast and Xanax. Wow. You know, I couldn't handle it. I was so stressed out and depressed. Wow. And you write about in the, in the synopsis for your show, which I've yet to see and I'm excited to see, you write about, um, a, a, a visit to a mental institution. Is that right? Oh, Is that part of your yes, show? but it was only for, it was only for two hours. Okay. Yeah. It popped by, it popped by. It was really more of a pop by. Yeah. It was a recon mission, you know, it was sure. just kind of checking things out. Yeah. It was brief, very brief, but I did go. I will tell you this. I spent a night in the psych ward. <laughs> I was going through a thing and uh-huh. I had not. I don't recommend it. I hadn't been able to sleep for like mm-hmm. six days uh-huh. and I needed help. I needed somewhere to go and that's where they put you. Um, but I was able right. to sleep, but it was, it was strange being in a psych ward. Like it's a little <laughs> bit, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and I was like, oh, this isn't the right place for me. Right. But Dennis, everyone else is saying, the people, everyone is saying, I don't need to be here. I'm good. I can leave. Yeah. So we're all saying when that. you're there, you yeah. say it and you go, Oh God, I sound crazy. I sound like everyone else. Then right. you start to get scared and you're like, Oh, no one's going to listen to me. So yeah. then you got to figure your shit out real quick. It was a good wake up call. Yeah. The point is life is tricky. And life uh, is tricky. And I had a good friend say like, give yourself a little grace. We're in a global pandemic. You're yeah. alone. You're depressed. You're trying to be sober, but you, you're kind of not. And you're, you're struggling and you're mad at yourself and just give yourself a break. Go check out the mental hospital for a couple hours and come back. So you you just did like a an open house tour? Like what what did you right. do when you went there? Or is well, this in the show? Should I not spoil it? It's in the show. Come see okay. the show. Okay, come yeah. see the show. But you did a pop by. Were you in LA yeah. or New York during the pandemic? I was in LA. Yeah. Right on. When you go to yeah. New York, do you have a place there that you stay or do you always stay in the same place? Uh well it's embarrassing, but since I go every month and yeah. hotels are so expensive yeah. right now. I don't know why they're so expensive in New York. They used to be like three hundred dollars. Now right. it's like six fifty. Um so I stay at the place at the at the hotel where my theater is at the Green River forty two is inside the hotel, which is basically I don't know if you've ever been there, but the uh beds you have to push a button for it to flatten out. I because love that stuff. To walk through the room, you have to kind of put, it's a pod. It's a pod. But it's very, it's even with the, even with the discount they give me at that hotel, it is still expensive as yeah. balls if you're going for three nights at a time every month. Yeah. So you got into television producing as well. We talked about the, the show that didn't end up going, but you worked on, I was reading the list, uh, My Life on the D list, which yes. I did not know you did that because you know I was on that first season of Kathy Griffin yes. on the D list. So yes. what did you do? When did you come into the fold? Because I was only on season one. I was season five. Ah. It was. Um, let's see. I did. I was a writer. I did a uh, writer producer. I did. So um, you would come public- up with ideas because when we yeah. started it, there weren't any writers. It was kind of like they followed her around. I mean, I'm sure there was some. Well, I say writer. We, yeah. We weren't in the WGA, uh, right, but of course it was, yeah, you, know, you own an episode and it would be like, okay, well, this is the Paula Dean episode. So she's going to go, then you kind of pitch ideas. Right. So mine were, I did the Paula Dean episode. I did her performing at the Apollo episode and I did the prop eight 
episode, which were three episodes I was really proud of. And I think they were the ones in, uh, nominated or they um, submitted to the Emmys. We didn't win. Um, but I loved that experience. Yeah. I learned a lot. Yeah. What do you like about producing? I hate it. I actually <laughs> left doing it because Cause you, it was because for somebody, if, if anxiety is a thing or like, yeah. so, like, ooh, like it doesn't feel like a, it's not a soulful uh, no. job. I felt it was a waste of my time. Really? Not into No, it I, I don't mean that in terms of the jobs I've had. I don't yeah. mean that. I'm grateful for everything I've, I've been exposed to. I mean, when you, if you're trying to, I literally right now spend my days writing music and writing material and then performing that for an audience. And I feel like I could not be living in my joy and bliss any more than I possibly am. I'm extremely happy and content doing that. Take someone who thrives in that and say, okay, now you're going to like look at a bunch of like details and call times. And you're going to have to talk to someone who's mad at you 10 times a day. And you're going to, you're in trouble. I felt like I was just always in trouble. I didn't feel like I was uh, being as creative as I, as I could be. That being said, like that, that's not the case. When I was at World of Wonder, I felt extremely creative and I felt very, very, um, like lifted up there. They've right. always been the greatest. I love working at World of Wonder and I feel even those shows, you know, that Glenn and I did, even though it was challenging, I was learning so much. I also learned, I didn't have to go to film school. I just worked at World of Wonder. I learned everything about shooting, editing, producing that I ever needed to learn by doing. That's the other thing that I loved about working there. Then I got kind of in the, the reality TV machine. Yeah. I started kind of bopping around from show to show to show. And then after a few years, I was like, what am I leaving behind for the world to, I would rather leave behind a song that 10 people liked that no one else heard, but at least 10 people liked than a show that a million people saw and then forgot about, you know? Yeah. It just wasn't doing it for you, but it sounds like you've come to your, your place. Well, I tried really hard. It wasn't good for my personality. It wasn't a match. It wasn't a match. But I, I'm no. gonna, there's a few shows that you put on your um, on your bio, and I'm going to see if you have any fun memories of them or favorite memories. Project Runway. Did Tim Gunn um, ever throw anything at you? I don't. I did. I was no. Tim Gunn was so incredibly sweet. I was so tired. I started snorting Adderall. Wow. That was that phase. That's yeah. The Project Runway memory. Okay. It's not. It was like I, it's not Heidi Klum teaching you to do a runway walk. No. It's no. Not, it was snorting it was, Adderall. It was me trying to figure out. It was me taking time code and yeah. notes and going, okay, at 3.03, so-and-so has a look that looks dramatic. Okay, yeah, 8.05. And, and they'd be like, oh, my God, are you loving getting all this great story? And I was like, fucking fuck off. No. <laughs> I want to be doing something enjoyable. This yeah. sucks. And then yeah. snorting Adderall. Yeah. All right. Top Chef, favorite memory? I was actually there in New Orleans doing the finale. The New York finale was in New Orleans. That's oh, a little fun. confusing. But I loved it. Uh, I loved working at Magical Elves too. That yeah. was a fun company. Everyone thought I was very entertaining because it wasn't a gay, yeah, forward company at the time. I get like it wasn't, you know, Randy and Fitner obviously very gay, right? But Magical Elves, I kind of was like a little bit of a. You were the unicorn, the unicorn. with the one-liners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, keeps me you so funny. Yeah. I've been that guy in a few rooms. <laughs> the state, the, exactly, that's the best place to be. It Top yeah. Chef, I was mad I didn't get to eat anything. Yeah, I wanted to eat. Yeah, I got to taste nothing. It's top Chef. Um, D-list. What's a favorite memory? Our executive producer, Michael Levitt, took the entire cast and crew to Palm Springs and like lavish. I've never been invited on a, like a crew trip before. And we got hotel rooms. We got like a stipend. Yeah. We like were treated really well. We had like got a really nice trip. And also being with Kathy getting kicked out of the Apollo that night. 
getting to travel with her was really fun. Really memorable, really fun. Yeah. It was so funny because, you know, we were – me and my my friend Tony were the main gays in that first season, right? Mm-hmm. And it was so – it was early days, that kind of reality TV. We didn't get paid anything. And I remember mm-hmm. the producer sent us like a Visa gift card at the end of the season <laughs> as like a thank you. And we were so – and Kathy was like, you better say thank you. I was like – but we were was, like, oh, thank like, – it was so different, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But we survived. We're all we're all still breathing. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. And then the show was a hit. That was what was wild. It was like when we were doing it, we didn't know what the heck it was going to be. That's legendary. So, yeah. I mean, first season of D-List. I remember yeah. you from it. It's yeah. huge. Um, what do you, what would you say the themes are of your of your show Wellness Check? What are the things that you're sort of thinking about and talking about? Um, they I, I do talk about sobriety a little bit toward the end. There, it really is a stand. It's a stand up show with music. So it's really the goal is to make people laugh and sometimes the, the, there's a first chunk in there it's a little bit of a send-up of a one-man show it's a little you know some of it is presented as serious but is all right. absolutely ridiculous um and that's it yes yeah. I, talk, I talk about my dog being homophobic i talk about bad gay fashion i interact with the audience a little bit i sing a song about kind of my naked ass what else do I sing? Um, I, I sing a song about a horrible faux pas I had at Sirius XM. That's kind of the 11 o'clock number, as it were. It's kind of, I had like a hot mic moment at Sirius XM. Oh, can morning. you tease it a little bit or is it really? No. It's, you said I, something I'm on a mic to, that you shouldn't have said. Yeah. It was during the dark days of the pandemic before I went to the mental institution. Wow. Oh, wow. It was horrific. It was the worst. Was there scenario bad too. fallout? It wasn't great. It wasn't great. But you still have a job. You didn't lose a job. That is what honestly yeah. has changed my life is that I made such a horrible mistake. And in spite of that, they were like, you can k- keep your job because you, you know, you know, I'm putting words in their mouth. But it was the, the idea was basically like, you're not a bad person. You can keep, you're obviously very sick. <laughs> you said something horrible. But, you know, maybe if you figure your shit out, you can keep your job, which I did. So would you I'm say grateful that, for it. Would you say that that moment changed your life? Yes. Would you have, yes. Was that the thing that felt like the kind of rock bottom moment, for lack of a better term? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's part of the show. Yeah. Now I really have to come and see it. Um, yeah, come see it. I, I love it. You mentioned your naked ass. You're on a fitness journey on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I resent it. I admire it. I am titillated by it. I have all the feelings we all have. When you see that guy, and you're like, shit, he's uh, putting in the work. Um, so what's what have you observed about it? First of all, you look great. Um, Thank you. Are you having fun? Yes. Well, it's like, you know, I, I – What, what inspired um, it? I could see, like, getting sober and wanting to be healthy for sure. Well, that was the main thing. Really, you know, I was – and. It, I got sober and also I, I had all this extra energy and a lot of people that happens to when they get sober, they're, they have a lot of extra energy. They're getting out there and you're not, you're also not taking in all this extra empty calories all the time. But I, it was just a way to kind of reduce stress too. Right. Um, and then I found a gym that I really liked. I could never, I would never be able to go to like a regular gym, like Equinox and walk in and just look at those machines and do something. I go to a gym, which is like, we're all kind of doing the same thing. It's like mini crossfit situation yeah do they call it a box because i went to crossfit they for a while no no it's no, like no. hey there's a new box opening up around the corner i was like oh <laughs> i like this box i'm happy with this box i like to use I, the language 
Um, yeah, it's it's not CrossFit, and I because yeah. I do I am repulsed slightly yeah. by certain CrossFits, and I can't I don't also believe it's that great for your body. So, but I've always been a physical person. Like Broadway was a big, uh, you know, you're it's really highly physical. Sure. Um, and I also turned, you know, I'm 46 now, and I wanted to be a slut pig one more time before it all goes to shit, which I'm sure it will tomorrow. So, so I'm enjoying in, that. We're you're in your slut um, pig phase and being just an online slut whore. Yeah. Good for you. I am. I celebrate I am. that. I yeah. Because here's what sometimes because well, for so long I was I was on Xanax for 10 years I couldn't fuck. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's really interesting. I have a Xanax story too, um, which is that I was going through a a really challenging time in terms of work and stress and like not, I don't know how I was going to make a living and I was dealing with some trauma and stuff like that. And I had used clonopin for a short period of time years earlier, so I thought uh-huh. I'm gonna. Me too. I'm gonna. That might help me this time. And so I did that. And I was like, after about a month and a half, I was like, mm, I don't, this isn't feeling right. I'm going to try to go off it. And I couldn't. Like I would have yep. these brain zaps. Yes, like, brain zaps. And I, Oh my I, God, I no like, one's ever described it like that but me. And I was like, or to me, I don't know what to do with this. And I was already stressed out of my mind. So I was like, I can't, I, I want to come off this when I, I can't and I need help. I can't do this. This is too much. And so I went yeah. to, 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 um, to the doctor, to the hospital, get help. And for that, they, they were like, okay, you have to go to rehab. So, so I ended mm-hmm. up in outpatient rehab for, mm-hmm. for two and a month, two or three months. And I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I'm like the, like it's never been part of my thing at all. But there I was, um, in rehab, like yes. in those meetings. And you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't a horrible place for me. I needed a place to fall apart. And I did have yeah. common, there are, there are overlaps with our, with our issues and stuff. It was an interesting time, but yeah. That was so. Whenever I hear Xanax, I'm like, "That she's a dangerous bitch." Although mine was a different benzo, but yeah. No, so. Clonopin, Xanax, Ativan, Valium. I've been on all of them, and they were all that. That was just kind of my. That was the last. Once I did, I was able to stop drinking. I was able to stop taking other kinds of pills, but I couldn't stop taking those because I literally would have such terrible anxiety when you go off of them. That's a whole other podcast, I guess. But like, your body gets used to them, and it controls your central nervous system, which controls your breathing, you're yeah. eating, you're sleeping. Those are things that you need to be able to do. But if right. you go off of it in the wrong way, then yeah, it's brain zaps. And that was really what, what scared me. That I went to um, rehab too yeah. because I was worried that I was going to have some sort of heart attack or my head was going to explode. You have to do it safely. That's one thing. I think people can maybe, they say benzos yeah. and alcohol are the thing you can die from if you try to go off by yourself. Well, and also you think you're doing the tapering thing or maybe you just have a, a bad reaction. Like it's not, mm-hmm. you know, you could be doing what, you're supposed to sort of be doing with it. And that was my dangerous. Yes. All right. No. And it was, it was, it was not good. I'm so glad you're okay. Dennis. Yeah, no, it was a harrowing time, but it was, it was, uh, I learned a lot. I know that I would be a different, Uh, you, me and Stevie next, we know how a benzo (laughs) withdrawal feels and there is nothing worse. Like literally it's the worst one. Well, you think that you're going to die or something like it, it it wasn't like, I'm you too feel like weak to dying. handle this. It was like, no. this isn't good. I got to go to the hospital. And the next thing you know, I'm in rehab uh, right. telling soccer moms, you know, your kids are going to forgive you. It's going to be okay. I was right. good at rehab. I, I was really good at rehab. Oh, me too. I was I a good go listener. I was like, yeah, I was good at mm-hmm. it. I was solid. Um, it was a whole thing. Oh, here's another thing I thought about the other day. Oh, this is so sad. There was a, there was a kid, a young gay kid in there. Oh. And his parents wouldn't accept him. And, oh God! And he sadly is no longer with us. 
and it was oh. a whole journey. And I have an answering machine of a message that, that he left that he left for me that I listened oh, to from no. time to time. Yeah. It was a whole part of my life that like, I can't, be- I look back and I'm like, I can't believe that happened, but it did. That happened. It, it yeah. happened. It all, I know. it all happens. I, I was thinking about that the other day. Most people need to go to rehab just to be in a room with people and share your feelings. We don't do that enough. Can I tell you this? When I went to rehab, it was during the summer and there was an Outfest film festival in July. And I love Outfest. I always go. It's like mm-hmm. my favorite time of year. I love the movies and the people and the parties and all of it. And I, I, I'd been in rehab for like a month and I went to the Outfest opening night and I'm smoozing. I'm seeing all my friends and I'm thinking, these people are so phony. They're so right. full of shit. Everyone mm-hmm. felt affected and they're my friends acting normal. Mm-hmm. But because I had been in a room where everyone was just really raw and honest, everything else felt affected and like, all my all these people are so full of shit, and they were my friends that I'd known for years. That was just a random takeaway, but anyway, I know how it feels. I still go to meetings. Yeah. You know, I, I it's an important part of my life because I start to freak out if I'm around a, a bunch of people who aren't connecting, and because it, it it makes I, I maybe have like some light social awkward situations. I don't know. It's hard for me to connect. I need to I need to have some brutal honesty with some people, you know, as often as I can. Otherwise, I, I don't know what's real. Yeah, I can like see, that lady I, on the airplane who left and said that guy in the back is not real. Oh, I don't know what that is. Her. Oh, watch it's, it! I'll send it to you. It's a news story or a, a meme or whatever. Um, what have yeah. you observed about being hot on the internet? Oh, um, because sometimes every there's been periods in my life where I'm like, I'm going to go all in on this stuff, and it doesn't last know. long. But I'm curious to know what it's like. What is it like to be hot? I mean, I don't know. I think, do you get a lot? Do you get a lot of DMs? Well, I don't open DMs as a rule. If I know you, I'll open the DM right. usually. But we get so many crazy people from the radio yeah. that you know we get some conservative people who are like, "You're gay. You need to rot in hell." Oh yeah. So it's or a they'll say just, yeah. So I don't, and I am too sensitive to see that shit. So if yeah. I feel like, oh, this looks like a slutty guy who might be sending me a picture of his butt, I'll open it. Yeah. But then when you do that, it's like, well, congratulations, you know. Yeah. You know, are you in my same city? Yeah. I don't know. So I rarely kind of... What am I I supposed to do with it? Well, when my father passed away, I started... One of the reasons that was in addition to just your father passing away is um, he had really bad dementia and he had been scammed on Facebook really terribly Ooh. um i know that's why i hate jen shaw um jen shaw who's jen shaw oh don't worry about it Is she, I, I know an <laughs> she was a housewife who went to jail she like scammed oh. old people oh okay but i'm kidding he she had to have anything to do with my dad i'm sure but like my he was kind of scammed online and so i at that point made a decision to always remember that instagram is fake and not real yeah and no matter even if people tell you you know, all sorts of stuff that you want to hear about yourself. Always remember that, you know, IRL is most important. IRL is most important. But also you yeah. find that, you know, like here I'm doing the show in New York. Here's a few hot pictures. That's going to help. That's why I'm a whore. Because yeah. I need to sell tickets. Yes. That is correct. And I nothing don't... is more powerful than a hot pick. Nothing. Well, I've noticed I will, I will write a hilarious joke and it will get like 50 views. Yep. But if I post my tips... I will sell 50 tickets. Yes. And I need to sell those yeah, tickets. Yeah, it's about moving those units 
And then you come to the show and then you go, oh my God, who knew you had any sort of talent whatsoever? I just came to see your tits. And then you go, well, surprise, surprise. Yeah, exactly. As long as the butt's in the seat, it's all good. Now, you uh, co-host with Andy Cohen. You've known him for a long time. You guys dated for a while. Am I right? Yeah? Back in the day? We dated in 2003, yeah. Right on. During the Hairspray heyday? Yes, we met our uh, composers, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, hooked us up. I love that. And yeah. you've navigated this journey. Are you like godfather to the kids? Do you Are you good with the kids? What's your thing? I love the kids. I spent the week with the kids, just me and the kids and their yeah. nanny, the summer in the Hamptons while he was working. I love them. I love, love, love them. I was there the day Ben was born. I held him as soon as he came out of the other, of the body. Uh, I love him. I'm, I don't have the nurturing instinct, I will sure. say. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not. Like their surrogate, you know, nanny there at all times type, but I'm there and present in their lives as much as I can be. But I am missing that maternal gene or paternal gene. Yeah, interesting. But it, it's I lo- also, I love them, but you know, it also must be interesting to be good friends with somebody before they become really famous and then watch that journey and be, be you know, observe it and see what, yeah. what the world of fame is like. It just must be an interesting, there's a lot of stories about that. I find that theme really interesting. Yeah, and I've had a lot of friends become famous after we've been friends, yeah. you know? Uh, and for the most part, it's been a, like, very cool, exciting thing to have a front row seat to, yeah. you know? Um, the thing about Andy is he always was kind of a star before he the world knew it. He was kind of living his life the same exact way as he is now. So it's, it wasn't a huge change. Yeah. Um, do you and, want me to tell you my favorite Andy Cohen story that I, you know, we hosted this pilot together that never went before Watch What Happens Live. Which one? Dishin. Dishin. Yeah. Oh my God. It was you me, were on Dishin? Me, Andy Cohen. Billy Eichner. Billy Eichner appeared, like he wasn't on the panel, but he, he was on that show. He did a guest. I thing. remember this. But Billy I Eichner was in this, he was on the next incarnation with Joan Rivers, which I did not get. Um, right, right. And Aaron Quill, my friend, was the, the fourth and it was like the soup meets the view with gay people and a straight girl. I remember it. Yeah. And uh, it was exciting. I was like really excited about it. And it was a good experience overall. And I went to New York and we were going to film the pilot and I, and Andy was there and I'd met him like once before and I always thought he was really nice. And I kind of had a crush on him because he's cute. And um, one day they sent, they brought us in Starbucks cups and the venti looked particularly big. There was a moment where the, every cup seemed to get bigger at Starbucks. Right. Yeah. And I was like, is it just me or is that venti cup huge? And Andy goes, I want to fuck that cup. And I was like, mm. I was really turned on by that. Sounds about right. <laughs> so I, yeah. I want to fuck that cup is a solid, like that's my um, moment. And I was into it. I was all about it. Um, but sadly, the show didn't go. But it was, a, it was a good experience. And we ate after the taping. I remember eating at Vinyl, which is no longer there. Oh, my God. I love Vinyl. Is, remember with that the was theme the bathrooms? And who went to yeah. the Nelly bathroom? Nobody. You go to Cher or Dolly. It was a share. It was a share and dolly. There were four, and they each had a doll. I know there was share. I remember Cher. Oh, Tina. Tina as well, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Nelly was, you know, the band aid. I don't know. It felt like um, not. It didn't. It didn't last as a bathroom doll symbol for vinyl. Right. Yeah. I, but also, no. Uh, vinyl had amazing food. Yeah. This is a question from the observation deck that I think you might have fun with, and it's holiday themed. What okay. gift that you received in your life do you most vividly remember unwrapping? An E.T. doll. 
Oh, you got an ET doll. You really did you really want it? I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. But you remember the it? The reason I remember it because it's the thing that I opened when I wasn't allowed to and I couldn't wait, so I snuck down early and I I against the rules opened something and it was what and, it, and that's what I opened. It was the first thing I did, kind of like a naughty against yeah. the rules open, something when I wasn't allowed. So I snuck down, I opened something early, and I thought it was it was pitch black. I couldn't really see. So I thought it was a boxing glove. It was a little plush <laughs> ET. Right. And I was like, like, I don't mm. want fucking boxing gloves. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, wait, no girl, it's ET. And I was so excited. I did you rewrap it so that you wouldn't get caught, or did you just own it? I think I shoved it back yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. You made it work. You made it work, but yeah. it vivid memory. What's been your most random star sighting? I'm sure you've seen a lot of celebrities. Uh, one time I saw Tina Yothers at a Hard Rock Cafe in Berlin. That's obscure. <laughs> Tina Yothers is a deep cut. I like it. Yeah. Family yeah, ties. Pretty random. I love it. Where's the weirdest place you've ever been recognized? Well, I guess the AMC Theater at the Grove was not that crazy. <gasps> when you go to AMC, do you ever do the Nicole Kidman voice? Because you can do it. I don't do, do people it because... want you to do it. Do you feel pressure? No, not really anymore. Okay. I'm developing a show. My next show that I'm going to be doing next summer involves that voice. More to come on that later. More to come on that later. I wrote down careful with the mics. That's another song that you do, right? An That's original the one song about my horrible hot mic moment. Oh my gosh. That's serious. Yeah. It's a song I sing. I wrote a song about the experience and I wrote basically what I did was Dennis is I was trying, I thought, but the challenge would be to write a song about this experience that happened that was so mortifyingly embarrassing. Um, but how could I ever do it? And I couldn't crack it. And then I thought, well, why don't I just take the actual verbatim audio from that hot mic mistake and make those the lyrics? And that's what I did. And then the song happened super easily. So it's just the lyrics are what happened. I don't know what, what the I, ho- I don't know what the hot mic moment was. I don't need you to reveal it here because we want to keep the mystery going. I play it in the show. I play the audio of the But moment. it sounds like it was horrible and yet you're doing like an exposure therapy thing to yourself by reliving it how is that affecting you is it helping you get some distance from it or when i think of embarrassing moments in my past i can almost feel them when i think about i can feel i can still feel it but it is i explain the whole thing and i explain what happened and um it took me two years to listen to it oh my and then when I was two years sober, I listened to it. And that was, you know, a year ago. Uh, and I listened to it and just was like, all right, I'm going to confront it head on. What I want to like die thinking I was like afraid of this embarrassing moment. It happened. It happened publicly. So I'm going to go ahead and, and lean in and see how to process it. What would Carrie Fisher do? You know what I mean? I'm trying to live yeah, my you life. You take your broken heart and make it art. Trying to. And also the other thing that she said that I always think about is um, if it, wasn't funny it would just be true well, yeah yeah there it is exactly. there it is so tell people how they can learn about your shows how they can see your shows go to my instagram john arthur hill uh that's the best place because i have a link tree and you can find all the places i will be visiting and doing my show and you can buy tickets all there one-stop shop december 14th new york city Green room 42 back uh there again january 18th L.A. Dynasty Typewriter, December 22nd. I do hope you'll come, Dennis. I will be there. Here's my final question. Okay. You're talking now that you really kind of have a a great life. You've got the radio thing. You get to write your songs and do your shows. What is the dream gig? What would you love to be doing that you haven't done yet? Or are you kind of living it? 
Uh, more money, whatever it would be, just this, but with more money. So yeah. if I had a run of the show, like if I had a run, you know, uh, somewhere where I could do it, because I the only drawback to what I'm doing is like a few weeks in between each show, and I could be the radio has been such good practice being on there live, thinking on my feet, you know, coming up with a new show, new shit to talk about, keeping it fresh. I'm good at thinking of new shit every single day, and I'd rather be doing a show every single night. Um, it is live so that I could incorporate the ideas that I have during the day. I have like a surplus of ideas that I would like to just try out every night. So I would just like to do it more frequently or turn into a series where I could have, you know, kind of expand the budget a little bit. It's got to keep my dog alive. Yeah. All right, John, this has been super fun. Thank you for talking to me. I can't wait to come and see your show and everyone should come and see it with me in New York and LA. Thank you, Dennis. I love you so much. I love you so much. Thanks again to John Hill. Go see his show, Wellness Check, in New York on the 14th and L.A. on the 22nd. You can learn more about that. Probably the best place is his Instagram, which is John Arthur Hill on Instagram. All right, so this happened a little while back over the Thanksgiving holidays. I decided I needed a little fresh air, a little getaway. And my new favorite getaway, I've done this twice now, actually, is I drive to Ventura and I stay at this place called Waypoint Ventura, which is a hotel made up of old vintage trailers like Airstreams and other brands. And they're not all Airstreams, but that's the vibe, right? And there's all these cute little trailers and you stay there and it's right by the water. I can get there within an hour from my house. So I'm there. Um, And it's not super cheap, but it's cute and I'm into it. I love the different trailers. This, This time I picked a smaller one. I was trying to save money and I bumped my head twice trying to get out of it like kind of hard. I was like, ow! And then, um, I really, it was kind of small and cramped and I had a hard time sitting on the toilet, but I figured out how to do it. But it took a little bit of like, okay, I have to sit like this and squat. Anyway, it was a thing. But I love staying out there. They give you s'mores free, uh, complimentary. It's part of the service. Um, And there's a fire pit and you make your s'mores. And man, those are so good. I wonder who came up with that combo. Graham cracker, Hershey's chocolate, marshmallow. Anyway, delicious. I love that part of it. Uh, You can walk to the pier and walk to the beach, and then there's restaurants you can walk to. And I just love my little trailer, but this time my favorite part of the trip was this trailer that I picked had a record player in it. And they had some old, you know, records in there. Some were, like, things you'd heard of, like Thriller was in there. But the one that I put on and played, and now I can't get the song out of my head, is um, an album by Mac Davis, 70s uh, singer, called Midnight Crazy was the album. And I remember Mac Davis from the 70s. He was all over the place. He had a hairy chest, curly hair. He was just like a sex symbol. But I I don't remember any of his songs. If you threw out a title, I'd be like, yeah, I knew that. But I never bought his records. And I never, like, really took them into my heart. But I'm like, I'm going to put on Midnight Crazy. Because the album cover really captured my imagination. It's him, like, reclined, hairy chest open. And I think there's a woman with her foot on his... You just see her leg and her foot on his hairy chest... And then the back cover, the foot is now in his mouth. He's, like, biting her foot. I'm like, the 70s were the best kind of horny. This was, like, that kind of Three's Company, Larry on Three's Company horny, where they just fucked all the time, probably in a van, and there was shag carpet. It was just the best kind of horny. And so I put on Midnight Crazy, and now I'm in love with the song Midnight Crazy. It's, it's about a certain kind of abandon that one might feel. Um, and I got it stuck in my head. It's a, it's a banger. And yes, I ordered it for my jukebox, and it is on its way to me now. 
it's going to be a holiday, midnight crazy kind of holiday here in my house. So that's my story. It's called Waypoint Ventura. I find it really charming. I have other friends that would probably be like, I hate this. I can't stand it. Let's just go to a regular hotel. But I'm into it. All right, that's enough for this week. I want to give a shout-out to Oscar Rosario for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. Catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.